0: Hey jazz fans this is Jack Hamblin and you are listening to Utah Jazz Weekly a podcast for every fan of the Utah Jazz. Every week I have a ton of fun writing and recording these episodes for you guys and of course I love talking about the Utah Jazz. If you guys would like you can leave a rate and review on this podcast that would really help me out a ton. Now without any further ado let's get into this week's episode. Hope you enjoy. All right, Jazz fans, we are here with Micah Goldstein. He is the owner of the at NBA Interact page on Instagram, and we are just here to talk about uh, some Jazz things with the second half and just get his insight, ask him a couple questions about the future of the Jazz this season and maybe into the playoffs and some future seasons. So good to have you on here, Micah. Yeah, thank you to have me, Uh, Jack.
1: I'm always glad to come talk Jazz basketball. It's been a fun season and always here to talk about everything jazz. Let's get into it.
0: Yeah it's been awesome first half so far. Um, I just like that you know to have you reach out and be able to connect cross country because I'm here in Utah and you're in New York right?
1: Yeah I am New York. I grew up in Salt Lake but I'm going to school at Syracuse University but anytime I can stop and talk jazz with anybody is always a fun
0: time. Yeah for sure yeah the first half of the season's been incredible and I just kind of wanted to start it started off talking about how really we look at the strength of schedule between the first and the second half and where the Jazz had one of the more difficult um, first half schedules and looking at an easier schedule in the second half do you think it's going to just be another nine loss stretch in the second half and the Jazz are really going to end the season with 18 Maybe we're going to have less, more losses. How do you think, as far as a reflection of the first half, the second half of the season is going to go for for Utah?
1: Right. So I like what you said there when it comes to the first half versus second half schedule. If you look at simple rating system on basketballreference.com, the Jazz have had the third toughest schedule thus far. And when it comes to just pure win-loss record that the Jazz have faced, they've had the fourth toughest schedule thus far. As it pertains to the second half in both of those metrics, they are both bottom five. So the Jazz obviously go from having one of the tougher schedules to one of the easier schedules. The Jazz have had 14 straight double-digit home victories. If they win again tonight, they would tie the 1990 uh, Phoenix Suns for the most amount of consecutive double-digit home victories. When I look at the differences between the schedules from the first and second half, the thing that really pops out is the amount of sub-500 Western Conference teams. The Jazz had a stretch in February where they played six Eastern Conference teams, and the Jazz have tied in the Western Conference for the most amount of games that a team has played against the other conference. So teams like Houston and Golden State, which we'll see right out of the gate here starting the second half, those are the wins that obviously the Jazz would like to pile up and obviously pile up in convincing fashion. I think that the Jazz, uh, the All-Star break came at pretty much the right time. We lost three or four for the first time this season. One of the things that I think really needed was some kind of a rest, as well as I think we learned something about the roster itself, which outside of Gobert and favors, and we'll get into this a little bit later with the on Ilyasova signing. Yeah, for sure. Outside of those two players, it is essentially an undersized roster full of shot creators and dead eyes. And I think guys like Ben Simmons and Zion Williamson, who were able to get into the paint with little to no resistance, were the kinds of things uh, and kinds of players that we needed a wake-up call for at that time of the season. I am excited to see how the team comes out at this point. Some of the numbers, when you look at uh, – shot creation, and three-point makes are what I thought was going to be unsustainable for the first few weeks of the season. The Jazz have held it up for the first half, uh, 35 games thus far. I think that when you've made it this far into the season, those numbers are generally going to be where they will be for the rest of the season, hopefully. And the one thing that I think works in the Jazz' favor, as uh, compared to Phoenix, who is currently the two-seed, or either of the L.A. teams, is the Jazz have only missed one game due to COVID, which will make it easier when it comes to making those games up at the end of the season. So you're not playing five games in seven nights, three and four, multiple back-to-backs. What say you?
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting, especially looking at a team like the Grizzlies, who had a ton canceled and have a lot of games. And you look at just how important rest is, especially come playoff time. And you talk about rest and depth, and we can talk about that more when we when we get into the Ilyasova talk, but yeah, it's, it's really important to sustain um, rest as far as the second half goes, and I mean, that's why we see load management come in uh, for teams like the Clippers, and you know, Anthony Davis is going to be rested pretty heavily as far as his injury goes, so I think that's a huge part of the jazz in the jazz's favor of either being able to rest some players in not so difficult games and still come out with a win um, in those easier, you know, opponents, but also just not having as many games, I think will really be an advantage come playoff time to have a rest. Cause there's not really that much of a break between the end of the regular season and the playoffs for a rest period. I mean, there's like a week maybe, But other than that, yeah, I think rest is pretty important. Yeah,
1: so rest has been important. The other thing that the Jazz have been honestly blessed to have been able to circumnavigate thus far is COVID and injuries. The Jazz have only had three different starting lineups so far this season. Yeah, at least in the
0: NBA.
1: That's something that's sustainable. But we got guys like Royce O'Neal and Rudy Gobert and Boyan Bogdanovich who have all missed one game or less. And we've essentially been able to create that chemistry that we've had over the last couple of years. And then the only difference in the roster from last year to this year is you throw in Derek Favors, who is the answer to the one missing piece of the puzzle, which was last year, which is the question of, when Gobert goes to the bench, what happens at the big position?
0: Right. Derek and that Favors- was And that wasn't even that much of a change because, I mean, he was here just a year previously and been here with the franchise as long as anybody else. So,
1: Yeah, so when you talk to players and hear what they have to say about Quinn's system, the first thing they bring up is it takes time, obviously, and I think that's one of the things that you look at, like Clarkson and Conley's play from last year to this year. Conley was a guy who struggled and underperformed last year, but he gets another year to work with Gobert, which is a pick and roll big primarily versus a pick and pop guy like Marc Gasol that he had right.
0: worked. Right, and playing in one system for so long, and just you know the NBA through those eyes and through that pick and pop system, it was I was getting pretty frustrated as how unrealistic um, fans and and people wanted Conley to just catch on that quickly, and it's just such a huge change, and I don't think they understand like how much dedication and that these players put into their systems and how much of an adjustment it was for him but it's awesome to see where he is now leading the league in plus minus um eventually through some injury became an all-star which was awesome but yeah his chemistry with Gobert I would say is probably one of the biggest differences um this season that's been in favor of the Jazz
1: yeah he's been awesome. Clarkson, you can't say enough about. He's a walking bucket. Right. Ingles, after the game against the Sixers, in which we won at home, he was asked about Clarkson. That's when he had the 40-point game.
0: Right. I was actually at that one, which was pretty sweet to be at.
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah, Yeah. Ingles was asked, what was the difference between tonight and other nights for Clarkson? He said, and I quote, when I saw him get up off the bench, I could see sparks fly from the back his That man has been awesome this season. He is essentially the runaway sixth man of the year barring injury at any point this season. The way that the roster looks right now and with the addition of Ersan Silva, I'm going to be interested to see what that does when it comes to Niang's minutes. I think that Ilya Silva is being brought in essentially as a replacement for Niang, especially when we face teams that are bigger and we need uh, more able-bodied, bigger guys. Because when we throw out a lineup that includes Conley, Mitchell, Clarkson, and/or Ingles, plus Bogey and either Favors or Gobert, you only have one guy on the floor who is taller than six eight. And when you bring in Ilya Silva, who can be that three and d guy that we're probably missing at this point other guys that the team was looking at would have included pj tucker right
0: and his right his age and his value i don't think was super realistic for what would be required or what houston would have wanted for him right yeah because
1: he's likely not going to be bought out so you wouldn't be able to get him for free right first one will allow the team to play with Two out of the three guys when it comes to Urson, Favors, and Gobert on the floor at the same time. The Jazz have experimented for some minutes when they throw out Gobert and Favors on the floor at the same time, but any combination of those two on the floor for uh, here on out in the regular season, we will learn a lot about what the team is going to look like in the postseason because when you face a team like the Lakers or even Denver, who's going to put pressure on us to guard a guy like Nikola Jokic or Anthony Davis or even LeBron, you have bigger bodied guys that the team is not going to be able to play small against, which is one of the reasons why I think Urson was probably the better option versus a shorter, uh, more physical uh, exterior defender. The Jazz pretty much have perimeter defense down to almost a science at this point with Royce and Conley who are playing out of their minds. But the one question would be, are teams
0: going to try to exploit Bogey and what do we do in response to that? What say you? Right. I mean, especially when you're looking at the Lakers, it seems almost like a nightmare because um, we're definitely going to have to go through them. I would say right now, Western Conference is it's gonna be Lakers Jazz. I would say that's a pretty, uh, I mean, a, a pretty accurate prediction. Um, and it's kind of a nightmare to think how the Jazz are gonna deal with that defensively. Um, if you're gonna put Gasol, Davis, and LeBron on the court, it's almost forcing the Jazz to play Gobert and Favors at the same time. Unless we're hoping, I mean, who are you gonna put on Davis? It's it's almost it's such a defensive nightmare because um if you're going to play some kind of zone and Rudy's going to get stretched out by Davis then that just is going to leave Gasol on the key um unguarded wide open or on a huge mismatch so it's almost like Ilya was needed and like that it wouldn't have even been imaginably possible to get through somebody like LA without um that kind of size because I mean what I would think it would be pretty foolish of the Jazz not to play Gobert in Favors at the same time with, against the Lakers. Um, I don't know uh, your thoughts on that, but I mean, is that foolish? I mean, it it definitely takes away from the offense, but defensively I feel like it it needs to be that way.
1: So offensively, I don't think that the Jazz are going to have much concern, especially moving forward because we've seen the three point numbers soar incredibly high and we're winning Uh, ball games when that happens and then another question that we would have had during the first half of the season is well when the threes aren't falling can you still win well we saw it against Miami we saw it against Philly for the first half we've seen different ball games against really good teams where we've struggled to hit those outside shots and we're still winning games by double digits now the one thing that I think is essentially our trump card against a team like the Lakers is The Lakers are the only team that's considered a contender at this point that is an average or below average three-point shooting team. And when you're able to stretch them out and play them on the perimeter, the Lakers are brilliant when it comes to guarding the paint, and a lot of the Jazz system is swinging around the perimeter until you can fake a shot and get in the paint. I think that as long as you're making threes, you're going to be really hard to beat. And that's one of the things the Jazz have proven this season is when the threes are falling, we put pressure on the other team to make theirs because three is more than two and (laughs) we're taking taking and making more than any team ever.
0: Right. And I mean, you look at the Lakers three point um, potential. I mean, Anthony Davis is pretty good from three and he's had some good hot streaks from three, but I wouldn't consider him a reliable three point shooter. And then, of course, LeBron kind of down in three this year. But, I mean, come playoff time, he's going to be a bona fide bucket from three. But then, other than that, I mean, who are you looking at? KCP's not really going to hit your threes. Um, I mean, Schroeder can, but he's pretty inconsistent from beyond the arc. So, I mean, it is an interesting dynamic of can the Jazz guard the Lakers in the key, but then can the Lakers Jazz the guard around the perimeter? It's a pretty interesting balance. Come playoff time if we're going to see that yeah so the lakers
1: this season have been the best or second best in pretty much every metric when it comes to guarding at the rim the jazz and Knicks are also up there but the lakers have not guarded the perimeter very well this season and when they're able to lock down and play tight perimeter defense their defense looks all world as it probably will come postseason time but that was one of the things that the Jazz were able to exploit when they played the Lakers was keep that ball on a string, keep it moving until you find uh, not only a good shot, but a great shot. That's not always going to be the case. And that's when I think Mitchell comes into play where the Jazz, if you were to compare them to teams in the past, some people who I quite frankly don't believe watch Jazz games bring up the 2015 Hawks. Sure. Is a team that I think that is more along the lines of the Jazz, which would be the 2014 Spurs. Right. Well, that is a team that embarrassed the LeBron James team that had more star power. That Spurs team didn't have a single player average more than 18 points a game that season. They had four different guys average double figures, but one of the things they were able to do is pass circles around the league. And the Jazz this season lead the league in passer rating, which is a uh, advanced metric from Thinking Basketball by Ben Taylor. It was created to grade the efficiency of passes as it pertains to the quality of shots that they create. Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, and Donovan Mitchell this season are all top ten when it comes to passer rating. And when you have that many different guys that you can run offense through, because If if LeBron starts checking Mitchell and essentially eliminates him from the game, well, we run the offense through Bogey or Conley or Clarkson or some of these other guys that can still go get buckets. That's one of the luxuries that I think we have versus years past where it was teams are probably going to switch defenses against us and then it's going to be Mitchell just trying to carry the team.
0: Right, because Conley, I mean, compared to Rubio, for example, in the past years, I mean, Conley is moons more reliable from the three and moons more reliable of creating a good shot. So, I mean, if you look at past years versus this year, I think that's a good point.
1: Yeah, for sure. And we saw just a taste of it in the bubble last year. Who knows what would have happened if we had Bogey because we probably – Denver and then we're in a series against the Clippers just like they were.
0: Right and then I mean you had Favors in the mix too so because like when when Jokic was on the floor and Rudy wasn't I mean it was a nightmare but I feel like Favors versus Jokic is a lot better than someone like Bradley versus Jokic
1: Right yeah Tony Bradley, Ed Davis with all due respect to them they were not going to be the
0: answer. Right right. Not a Oh yeah no
1: and Ilya Sova is another guy. When he was playing with the Bucks last year, he, Brooke Lopez, and Giannis Antetokounmpo were able to team up and create the most terrifying interior defense in the entire league when it came to ball hawking and shot contest inside of 20 feet. I think that if we have him on the floor with, say, Conley and Mitchell in the backcourt, then you're going to throw out either Ingles or Bogey as more of a spot-up shooter role versus a ball handler. You have Ilyasova and Gobert. That's a lineup that has pretty much every box checked. We have buckets out of the backboard, and what happens when the play breaks down, which is we give the ball to Mitchell, and he goes and makes something happen. We have corner three-point shooters in Bogdanovich or Ilyasova, who, by the way, Ilyasova shot uh, just under 36% – or just under 37%, which is league average from three, which is 36.8% this season. Right.
0: And the defense he he brings, I mean, it's just an amazing kind of double edge that he brings to it.
1: Well, yeah, I was going to get to that. Yeah, the defense, which is the double edge short, of course, which is really what we need. Uh, Niang is more of a one-way player, and he's a guy that we would probably uh, put in for a few minutes when we're up by some time and just trying to buy some time for uh, some other teammates. But Ilyasova shoots 42% from deep on catch and shoot threes, So when he is not the guy who is like taking dribbles into it or setting up his own shot, like on a step back or something like that, he shoots the ball better. And the Jazz this season as a team are the best catch and shoot three-point shooting team in the entire league. All it does, it makes it so our league best floor spacing becomes even better. So it's Gobert in the middle and it's four shooters around them who can all run pick and roll and get to the basket. I like the makeup of this team and some of those questions like, well, can we guard a fully healthy Lakers team? And do we have the pieces to be able to slow down Kawhi and PG at the same time versus just one or the other? Those are obviously things that are not going to be able to be answered now, but on paper, And what we've seen so far this season, the Jazz can hang with anybody. And then you throw in the fact that we do have the easiest second half schedule in the entire league when it comes to uh, just pure uh, win-loss record and percentage that we're facing. Locking up home court is going to be very important. Yeah, I was going to ask
0: you the importance of the first seed versus the second because basically if you're getting the first seed, you're guaranteeing that you don't have to play the Lakers or the Clippers until the conference finals, depending on, you know, I, we don't know where Phoenix is going, but right now I would predict the top three seats as Jazz, Lakers, Clippers. So that would have the Jazz playing the eighth seed in the first round. And then the winner of let's say Phoenix, Portland in the second round. And then it would be an LA team in the, in the conference finals. So just the importance of that, like you were saying. Phoenix.
1: Phoenix is the ultimate wild card, I think, in the Western Conference because the way that that team is constructed is a team that would give the Jazz more trouble than I think people realize at this point. Devin Booker and Chris Paul both like to work out of that 12 to to 20-foot range within the arc. Those have been, so far this season, the primary holes within our defense because the Jazz shoot the three ball well and guard the three. But when guys uh, turn down the three-point shot and take a mid-range, those have been the holes this season because it's just outside of the reach of Gobert when you're going into his space versus uh, guys running off the three-point line and forcing them into a Gobert contest. Right. One of the things that we saw from the Jazz game against the Suns earlier this season was Booker cooking in that area. and. I wonder if adding a guy like Ursan Ilyasova will be able to help tighten that up because when he is another guy who's really long, even if you turn down that three-point shot and take a couple steps in before pulling up, you're still going to have trouble because you're not completely out of his range before you get to go to a Gobert contest. That's one of the things that I will be interested to see moving forward because even even tonight, like a guy like Victor Oladipo, who isn't out of Houston yet, uh, is another mid-range pull-up shooter. I think that the Jazz have done a fairly decent job on that since really early in the season when that was a significant concern. The Jazz face the Suns two, if not three times
0: uh, down the stretch. Yeah, I have the schedule pulled up here. It looks like we're playing on on the 7th and the 30th of April. So, yeah, we get to see two more showings of them.
1: Yeah, they're a team that I think presents uh, an interesting challenge. But I was going to get to the Lakers because the Lakers, while they are shorthanded at this point, will be until Anthony Davis returns. The Lakers have... The fourth toughest schedule in the second half. And I think for them, they're probably going to start toning back LeBron's minutes, if not have him sit out a few games at some point. I don't think that the Lakers really care too much when it comes to playoff seating, whether no,
0: they I don't think it's on their mind, yeah.
1: <laughs> so it depends for them what kind of route they would probably want to take on their route to. Getting to the finals in their minds, which is, do they want to see the Jazz in the second round, or would they be comfortable with, or would they be comfortable with being in that four or five slot, or do they really want to push themselves to get into that two three range, which uh, the Clippers at this point also have a tough schedule the, the rest of the way, so do the Suns. I have no idea what's going to happen uh, when it comes to two through five in the Western Conference because I think that the Nuggets at this point, who also have a pretty easy uh, remaining schedule, are not out, out of it when it comes to getting into those top four seeds as well. So the Jazz best matchup, I think, out of all of those teams is the Clippers because the Clippers rank at the bottom or dead last when it comes to all clutch time uh, performances. And, Are we talking uh,
0: conference finals here?
1: So not necessarily conference finals, but I think out of the pack of teams where it comes from Phoenix to Denver slash Portland in sure. that area, so The top either top
0: five or six seeds we're looking at. Right.
1: Yeah. So I think the Clippers, while a lot of people consider them to be a better team than the Jazz at this point, the Jazz have owned the Clippers in recent years, and we've seen what Quinn Snyder is able to do against an opposing coach that, quite frankly, his downfall has been he doesn't make mid-series adjustments when LeBron James is not on his own team. Sure. So that would be the team for me where I would hammer the Jazz and would much more likely to see and would much more want to see, obviously, than the Lakers. But as it pertains to the Jazz versus a Portland or a Dallas or Golden State in the first round, that's not really something that I would be worried about.
0: Yeah, going 7th to ten, ten seed right now, it's Spurs, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Warriors. I think the Jazz could probably sweep or five-game any of those teams. Yeah,
1: for sure. The the Warriors, who knows? There might be the Steph game where he hits nine threes. Right. <laughs> You've seen guys light it up from distance, and it's still not enough because the Jazz just answer with threes themselves. Right.
0: And we've even seen Mitchell with his 50 points not be enough for a win. So,
1: okay. no, there's always both sides to the equation. But having Bogdanovich back and Conley and Clarkson have a whole other year of uh, experience under their belt within Quinn Snyder's system, that is always a good thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially come playoff time. Um, another thing that I've kind of talked about in some past episodes on here that um, I was wondering your opinion about is there's not a lot of talk about Quinn Snyder for coach of the year and for me that just kind of confuses me as a team that a lot of people are underrating a team that maybe some people would consider don't have a top 20 player yet have the best record in the NBA and you can attribute a lot of this to Quinn's system and and similar to that of Popovich, and, I mean, Snyder working under Popovich at one point in his career. So um, I'm going to look up the Vegas um, odds on Coach of the Year here real quick, but I was just wondering um, your thoughts on Quinn's Coach of the Year candidacy, why he's not in the talk, just your opinions on Quinn in and, and his season so far.
1: Yeah, first off, I can't really speak for other people who are actual media voters at this point, but I don't understand it either. The Jazz, before the season, were projected 41 and 31 when it came to just Vegas odds in terms of win total over under. The Jazz, at this point, are on pace to go 54 and 18. The Jazz, at this point, are no longer overachieving because they actually are this good. Quinn Snyder, at this point, I think has been either the best or second-best coach in the league. And the only coach that I think really rivals him is Monty Williams of the Phoenix Suns where Phoenix is a team that wasn't even in the playoffs last year and is now a two seed, people might make the argument that that's more impressive. But the fact that Quinn Snyder is doing this with, quite frankly, a best player who is not quite on the level of Chris Paul, but a player who is really close to that and Gobert and Mitchell, the Jazz at this point, uh, I was doing this on another episode where we ranked the top 100 players at the midpoint of the season. The Jazz are the only team that has seven different top 100 players. I think at this point, the Jazz lack of a quote-unquote superstar, while still having really good, if not great players, speaks to the versatility of Quinn to be able to take any mold of a player and get the most out of it. That's something that I think I look at more when it comes to his case versus like Tom Thibodeau with the Knicks, who he might be the odds-on favorite at this point to win the award just because the Knicks are back on the map and are starting to play defense again. But my midseason pick for Coach of the Year would be Quinn Snyder. I think that we also have the Defensive Player of the Year and the Sixth Man of the Year. Those are maybe anti-arguments to Quinn, but you can't say enough about the job that he's done. It's been perfect.
0: Right, yeah. It's been, I mean, it's been incredible what he's done to this team. And even looking at the roster last year versus this year and to have such a devastating playoff loss in Denver and the um, just resilience to run it back and and trust in your team and trust in Conley after a really rough season – it's just been amazing what he's done so far. And I'm yeah, trying to find the, the Vegas odds here for the the yeah, current so, Vegas odds for the Coach of the Year. But, yeah, I mean, he, he has it in my book. It's been pretty amazing what he's done. It has,
1: yeah. Monty Williams and Tom Thibodeau, I think, would be finalists at this point. But Quinn Snyder certainly gets the award because – If you look at his case and how it lines up to coach of the years in the past, it's kind of the case that makes the most sense. It's a team that is supposed to be somewhere in between good and really good, and then a team that is actually excellent because of the coaching and the team chemistry and continuity. And all of those things can be traced back to the uh, the X's and O's that Quinn draws up uh, night in, night out.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we talk about such an intricate system, and comparing it to the Spurs, it's a pretty pretty awesome system he's he's put together here.
1: Yeah, and one can even say that it's kind of a fail-proof system, because there were several questions that I think the Jazz answered during the first half of the season, which is like, well, what happens when the threes aren't falling, and what happens when a player isn't playing? Like, we were 8-0 and when Conley and or Mitchell didn't play. And uh, when the Jazz shot uh, below 35% from deep, the team was still uh, five and three on the year. That's a winning record with uh, below league average efficiency from deep. That's not always going to happen because we just have that level of dead-eye shooters around the team. I think that it's been an awesome season thus far and I expect that to continue not necessarily the Jazz uh, blowing teams out which I think is the thing that caught most people's attention versus just the 22 out of 24 it was the 22 out of 24 with 18 of those 22 wins coming by double digits
0: right I mean it's I mean in the past I don't know if we've ever seen it and if we have it's been super rare from teams I mean, comparing it like um, uh, Steve Kerr did to his Warriors team back in the day and, and Popovich talking about his teams back in the day, it's it's been pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, Brad Stevens of the Boston Celtics after the Jazz closed them out, compared them to the Spurs as well and said that 2014 Spurs team that didn't have a superstar and Tim Duncan was not where he used to be several years before that just blew the door off of everybody. And that team was the year in which we saw Kawhi Leonard take his initial leap towards Superstardom. That's one of the things that I think this Jazz team has that separates them from the 2015 Hawks or the 2018 Raptors, who were just awesome regular season teams, but lacked the actual talent to be able to get over the hump in the postseason, is the Jazz do have a player that is still ascending and would be able to have that superstar leap. Uh, We saw a taste of it in the bubble with Donovan Mitchell and we can see more of it this year when it comes to a longer postseason run and something that I think starts with a dominant second half from him. And while the efficiency numbers are not where we would see other shooting guards right now like a Bradley Beal or a Zach Levine, one of the things for Mitchell and I think we've seen a little bit of it this season is him converting those crossover step back long twos into catch and shoot threes. He's taking almost four catch and shoot threes a game, which is the difference in the shot selection from last year to this year. And it's given him uh, a point up bump. And I think over the second half of the season, the questions will be, uh, in what fashion and when does he look to hunt his own shot versus trying to get others involved because the difference between this season and last season when it comes to him not only is his shot selection but he heard the criticisms of oh he's a minus defender and he's only looking to get himself going and the difference between stars and superstars is stars get their own and superstars help others get going as well We've seen Mitchell become one of the better pick and roll players in the league and he's firing these telepathic baseball passes all over the court yeah, yeah. where it's it looks phenomenal and it's showing off I guess his dad and his own uh baseball career as well right. Yeah,
0: it's pretty crazy how talking about how he almost went to the to the Mets for baseball. I'm sure glad he didn't cuz we need him here but yeah it's pretty incredible looking at the coaching odds right now in Vegas it actually looks like a majority of the season it was Monty uh, Williams and Phoenix that had the favorable bet but it's looking like they've moved Snyder up to most likely to win the award which is um, good that he's getting that recognition now because we have um, him as favorable coach of the year Rudy favorable and defensive player and Clarkson in sixth man so I mean that just attests to how dominant the Jazz have been more than anything else and yeah
1: the only that I can think of in recent memory that would have had an MVP candidate, the sixth man of the year, the defensive player of the year, and the coach of the year, which would have been the 01 Sixers, Sixers right which went to the finals and played right. the Lakers. They had MVP AI, they had Aaron they the Kenbe Mutombo, and the Coach of the Year all on the same team. That's kind of a, a perfect storm team when you look at recent NBA history. And could the Jazz be that kind of a team plus all-time great spacing?
0: You're damn right they could. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty, it's pretty close. And even looking at the Jazz's contract situation, we've got this team basically for the next two, three seasons after this. So this isn't exactly like a miracle run like we've talked about or like th- teams have talked about with the Hawks. Like this could potentially not so much as a finals dynasty, but this could be a team that's going to be – in the second round of the playoffs for the next half decade. So it's, it's pretty awesome. to see. And
1: that's one of the luxuries of having Donovan Uh, as great as he is. He is going to get better during his peak, which he has began his prime at this point, but his peak, we won't even see until he's, you know, 26, 27, uh, through his age 30 season. And by the time we get to that point in his career, That is when Conley will be able to take somewhat of a step back, and Mitchell will be the one as the primary shot creator offensively. So the way that the timeline works out, not only this season but into years in the future, it fits nicely because Boyan's not going anywhere. Clarkson is 28, and he's only going to get better from here. There are a lot of reasons to feel that this team is on the up and up, not only this season but each of the next two, three seasons as well, like you said.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Another thing I wanted to talk about was just look at some of the specific stretches in the second half of the schedule that might see the Jazz going on another 10, 12-game win streak, or that might test the Jazz a little bit more. If we look at how it starts, um, we've got Houston tonight. And then uh, we hit the road in California and then flying west or east over there to Boston. So we've got Houston tonight and then Warrior Sunday and then um, a little bit of an east stretch. Um, do you see the Jazz kind of starting the second half off? Like you were saying, they've lost three of the last four before. Do you see it being another dominant or do you see it um, as kind of another warm up and getting used to things back into the rhythm again? are they hitting the ground running or is this more of a let's let's get the warm up going
1: i think they hit the ground running the houston rockets for example i don't think that we're going to learn much tonight because i do expect that we're going to win by double digits and push that streak to 15 games at home the houston rockets have been a disaster this season not only since trading james harden but since the christian wood injury they have had zero interior presence and have been bottom three in uh paint defense since uh his injury, so I think that the jazz will be able to get to the rim and get what any, uh whatever shot they want. but the Warriors and some of those other Western conference teams who have also struggled to guard the perimeter, I think that the jazz will win as well once upon a time this season, the jazz were a four and four middling team before. Uh, setting a franchise record in Milwaukee when it came to hitting threes. And that was how we snapped into an all-time great streak. So I don't know necessarily about going on another uh, 11-plus game win streak. That, by the way, is still the longest win streak that any team has had this season. I think that the Jazz may have another, you know, 16-4 and stretch in any kind of 20-game stretch. I do expect that the Jazz uh, will come out, put on dominant second and third quarter performances, which has been essentially the identity for the team, uh, which is play the first quarter close. It's generally a low scoring first quarter and the Jazz go on a run when Clarkson comes to the game. And then Mitchell, who has been uh, among the league's best when it comes to third quarter scoring and the Jazz point differential in the third quarter Uh, is on pace to be one of the best ever this season. The Jazz right now sit at uh, plus 4.1 in the third quarter, which if that were to hold up for the entire season, that would be among the 10 best ever for that specific quarter. That's the mark of a really well-coached team as well, and we were talking about it with Quinn. What you learn during the first half, you go into the locker room, make those adjustments, come out and execute in the third quarter, That's the area where the Jazz have been at their best this season. And I was talking to Tony Parks of 1280 The Zone, and one of the things that he said that he compares this Jazz team to is almost like a Mike Tyson fight where you never know when it's coming or how it comes, but that knockout punch is going to come at some point during the game. And even when the Jazz are losing – The ability to shoot the three and deny the three for other teams makes it so you're always a run away. And I think that that's an awesome attribute to have. And it's just another reason why this team is built to win regardless of what style the other team tries to impose or where the game takes us.
0: Right. I mean, it's incredible. And I'm excited to see just some more tests in the second half of the season because – the the greatness and the dominance has been really fun to watch, but also in the face of adversity, how the Jazz have, have played and even lost some games has been even more incredible to me. Um, if we look at the Jazz are playing the Lakers back-to-back in L.A. April 17th and 19th, I'd say that's the highlight of the second half of the season um we'll see if ad is back for that I, I hope he will be it's towards the latter half we have about a month uh, more recovery time for him to get to that point but i mean that's kind of like a mini playoff series right there in la and to see how the jazz can play adjust uh, just half to half game to game will be pretty amazing to see a little bit of a preview of that i'm excited i'm excited for those two games
1: yeah one of the things that i noticed about where the schedule was made when it comes to those two games is the Jazz, I believe, host the Pacers the night before, before flying to L.A. Yep. I'm not going to say that that was necessarily brutal on the NBA's uh, side of things when it comes to making the schedule, but don't think that that goes unnoticed.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: back to back and we're in our home court and then fly to L.A. the following day. But, yeah, that's something that I think the Jazz should obviously keep in their sights. But they are regular season games, and you got to take care of the games before then to get to that point where if we are, you know, five uh, or four or five, six games ahead of everybody else in the Western Conference by then, hopefully those are the times when we can start to uh, turn up the notch and really go to town on the Lakers when it comes to trying to get to the bucket as best as you can and anytime you get a, a miss get out and push it and hopefully you can get a bogey a corner three which has been the best play uh for uh the entire season when it comes to the jazz which is boy on shooting a corner three in the first 10 seconds of the shot clock.
0: right yeah it's it's almost unstoppable I mean his his sharp shooting ability is incredible and he's even had kind of a down year so we haven't even seen his best ability yet it's crazy to think that people like him and like Rudy have kind of had a down year offensively and that the Jazz haven't even reached their full potential as a team yet
1: yeah one of the things that I find funniest about Rudy's season is he hasn't even gotten going Yet the free throw shooting, he's still shooting free throws better than Russell Westbrook this
0: season. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's more of a prop to Rudy or a, a downgrade of Westbrook because it's, it's been interesting. Yeah, Rudy's free throw, that's kind of something I talked about at the start of the season too as, as a essential need. And he's he's been up and down, but it's it's been on an upward trend lately, which is good.
1: Playing some of the best defensive ball, and he's setting the best screens of any player in the entire league. When it comes to effective field goal percentage of players who are the ball handler off of Rudy screen, he ranks number one in the league. And there actually is a stat. It was made a couple of years ago just for that same thing, where people are trying to grade. Well, how well does this guy set screens, and how well does it translate to bucket getting? Turns out uh effective field goal percentage and screen assists he is number one in the league and he's also number one in the league uh in terms of roles off of pick and roll and joe ingles and rudy gobert uh, ranked top two in terms of pick and roll duos in terms of points uh per possession when it comes to those two so the jazz having multiple ways to attack even if mitchell is taken out of the fold by like if They're playing the Lakers, and LeBron starts to check him. We have other guys who can step up and make shots and make plays. That's something that I think is different from, like, a 2006 uh, Miami Heat, which is another team that people kind of float around. Which That team won the NBA championship, of course, but that team was Dwayne Wade carrying the team the entire time. Mitchell will have to do that at times in order for this team to get over the hump but he's not going to have to do that for the entire game all the time.
0: Right. And just being that well-balanced is something, this kind of chemistry, this kind of brotherhood is something I've attested to a lot this season is unlike any other team. When you look at it, I mean, the Sixers, or not the Sixers, the Clippers really let some of their best players go. So it's kind of a, just a Kawhi and PG show. Uh, Ibaka can get into the mix there sometimes, but, um, Batum I think is a an average player not exactly a killer and when you just look at their roster they're missing players like Carroll that they let go and just just some pieces like that and so the chemistry is is something that stats don't show and something that you can't really uh, attest to or record unless you're watching the games and so it's pretty incredible.
1: Yeah in the Clippers case their identity last season was be a solid starting lineup and have the best bench in the league. Their bench is now uh, towards the middle of the pack. But the Clippers, uh, for the minutes that Kawhi and PG have been on the floor this season, they have been essentially one of the three best starting lineups in the game. But I think that there is some hypocrisy when it comes to the Clippers, where people look at their roster and they go, oh, they have Kawhi, PG, Patrick Beverly, and uh, Serge Ibaka which on paper means that I guess you should have four all-defensive players. If you were to fill out your all-defensive teams this season, they would have zero at this point because the Clippers have been a middle-of-the-pack defensive team while having great on-ball individual defenders. The Clippers have had repeated uh, defensive breakdowns when it comes to baseline shot creation and uh, top of the key. so. I think that those are parts on the floor that the Jazz actually excel at. For example, Boyan makes and takes, or excuse me, Boyan has the most made corner threes of any player in the entire league, and he's been the guy who has burned uh, the Clippers more than any player on the team this season. Uh, and then Conley as well is another guy who has had money games against them. So that's another reason why I think the Jazz match up pretty well
0: against the Clippers,
1: or at least more so than the Lakers.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, we are about reaching 50 minutes here, and uh, I can only record up to an hour uh, through the Zoom. So I think we're pretty good to wrap up. Great insight from you, great conversation. Thank you so much for, for joining the call yeah totally my pleasure man thank you for having me yeah for sure make sure uh all you guys out there go ahead and follow nba at nba interact on instagram uh let's grow micah's page he puts out some great content i'm glad i stumbled upon it so yeah um i'll I'll talk to you later maybe we'll have another another have you on the podcast again come playoff time absolutely thank you take care yeah you too thank you